Well, this is me on my way up to the Alaska Airlines lost luggage desk to see if they will, in fact, as they promised, reimburse the cost of the newly purchased camping gear. So, stay tuned. What are you guys eating? Beef turkey. Beef gherkin. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about it, Ada? Because it's nice and chewy. Nice and chewy. How about you, Doc? How the sweetness and the pepperiness. What's your favorite camping food? Marshmallows. And beef turkey. Ada, your favorite camping food? Marshmallows and turkey. Marshmallows and turkey? Mm-hmm. Deck, you were telling me that you noticed some different things about the trees in Oregon from in Maryland. Do you want to tell me what you noticed? There were way more spruce. And pine. Here in Oregon? Mm-hmm. What else have you noticed is different? It's it it has more trees. It's a small, small, small world Apparently I established an unhealthy precedent several summers ago when on a camping vacation I pulled over at nearly every independent ice cream store we could find and now the kids simply expect it so here we are finding ourselves at vanilla jills scoops and soups by the way if you meet my wife jill she doesn't like being called vanilla jill All right, as promised, I wanted to give a little bit of a piece on the gear that we use for our family camping, camping with kids. Uh, And I don't want this to be a podcast in general to be all about gear, because uh, at the end of the day, um, it's not about the gear that you have. It's about uh, getting out there with your kids or with other people's kids uh, camping uh, with the next generation and introducing them to the great gift uh, of the outdoors. But uh, good gear does make things uh, more comfortable and safer and uh, and in the long run um, can be great artifacts that you use over the years and pass on to another generation. So I wanted to run through that. Jill alluded in her segment, uh, last episode alluded to kind of the three of the categories that we think about uh, that are pretty basic to making camping with kids, particularly car camping with kids. Um, more comfortable. That's the vehicle, it's the cooking system, and it's the uh, the tent uh, the, the tent itself. So um, I won't talk too much about vehicles um, you, because that's such a big ticket item. You pretty much got what you got or you uh, get whatever your rental vehicle is. Uh, Jill's car is a 2001 um, LX470, which for us works great. It's got 200 and 25,000 miles on or something like that but it's uh it's big enough that we can fit all three kids across the back seat and uh gear 
a plenty in the back and it's uh it's an off-road warrior so that we're able to get uh, off the beaten track when we need to but that's all i'll say about vehicles uh we um use uh for our our family camping tent um we have a a big agnes flying diamond eight uh and this is a new piece of equipment for us because up until recently, we used a backpacking tent, the Big Agnes um, Copper Spur Ultralight four-person tent for uh, our even for our car camping. Uh, our kids were little, and uh, I appreciate things that are small and light, uh, as well as uh, as built weather ready, which that uh, particular tent certainly is. But as our family was expanding, and uh, we wanted to have the option of uh, space for the for the kids to grow and to have more gear. Uh, we went with the Big Agnes Flying Diamond 8, which is a fabulous tent. Um, one of the things that, in my mind, put it above most of its peers in the large family camping arena was uh, was just its weatherproofness. It's really a bomber tent, and it gets uh, a 3-plus season rating uh, in some some categories, or, or some some reviewers give it a four season rating it gets used as a base camp tent at Everest and other uh, other locations where it's exposed to high winds um, and it's got that robust dome design uh, strong um, east and aluminum I think they're aluminum east and uh, poles and um, yeah it's just it it's remarkably well made and uh, once you put it up you'll see just how sturdy it is on this trip that tent was the the one that got lost in the luggage so we ended up going with uh, the REI Kingdom 8 uh, and I uh, had seen that tent before I'd experienced setting up that tent when uh, for a friend and so I was familiar with it I'd read reviews about it uh, and I trusted it to be a good piece of kit Although in the end we opted for the um, the Flying Diamond Eight instead, but when I knew we were under the gun for time and on the road, and I was just talking to the REI employee, asking uh, her, Erin, who was her name, to set stuff aside for us, uh, I just I just asked her, "Do you have a Kingdom Eight in stock? If so, would you set that aside for us? Because I trust their gear. I'd seen it before, and it worked out great. You know, the kids um, in the end they're they uh, just get excited about what they're excited about so the kids say they like that better than uh, the flying diamond eight uh, i think primarily because uh, it was just had such great overhead height uh, which was um to be honest a real plus i'm six one i could stand up in it uh, no problem and uh yeah it was spacious and served us well we didn't have any major weather tests uh, we had some rain and some uh, light wind, and it was just fine for all of that. Uh, but it's definitely a higher wind profile uh, sort of tent and doesn't have uh, full fly coverage on on one end. It's got a nice vestibule, but a, a very limited fly coverage on another end where the inner tent uh, is, is waterproof on that end. Um, so it shouldn't be an issue, but it is... Uh, it's definitely not the three or four, three plus four season tent that the Flying Diamond Eight is. Um, when it comes to sleeping gear, we uh, we just kind of use what we got. Um, often, we bring a uh, duvet from home, like a queen size down duvet or a, a cheap uh, poly filled duvet. 
and cram as many of our bodies as we can under that because, you know, in a big tent on sleeping pads, often everybody's sort of rolling around anyway. And with kids who often feel a little bit trapped in a grown-up sized sleeping bag, um, that works really well. Uh, and then we bring a few sleeping bags to supplement as necessary. On uh, the on the uh, cooking front, um, when we are car camping, I use a um, Partner Steel uh, stove called um, the Camp Partner or Cook Partner. It's made by this little steel fab shop in Pocatillo, Idaho, and um, it if you see it. You'll you'll just say this is over engineered, over engineered, uh, insofar as the it's just like thick ply sheet metal, bended and welded, uh, or bent and welded, and uh, simple fittings, but just really robust and durable. And I uh, was introduced to this particular manufacturer and type of stove when my brother Kenneth and I and a friend Ryan uh, and another friend uh, were doing. Uh, we did a hundred and something mile, ten day rafting trip from the Yukon Territory through British Columbia, down through Alaska, uh, and for that middle eight days, we we didn't see another soul, or uh, we didn't even we didn't even hear airplanes. So it was pretty remote. Uh, that was on the Tatshenshini Alsek River, and uh, these are the types of stoves that, uh, that this was the type of stove that was. Um, given to us by the outfitter and it's the type that uh, raft guides and other uh, expeditioners often use in remote settings where you just need something that you know is going to be uh, tried and true and it's going to hold up so it's a great stove uh, really robust but um, it's definitely for car camping we've carried it in backpacking uh, on a couple of times when we've gone with extended family and we're going only going a few miles from the trailhead but you don't want to do that for far because it it weighs far too much and it um it runs off of a full-size propane uh so i I do have we have a a, an aluminum wellington cylinder uh, which i'd highly recommend if you are going uh, for a stove of that variety because the um the wellington uh, aluminum cylinders are so much lighter than the steel cylinders Uh, and you know we had one that was that lasted us uh, for two weeks of, of, of cooking every meal, uh, no problem. Um, but when we fly, obviously you can't take that, so we just get one of the Blue Rhino or USA propane tanks uh, when we arrive at our um, destination. Yeah, so great stove, and I think Jill touched on, we just bring really simple cookware, uh, a saucepan and a skillet and, um, and then simple utensils. One other thing uh, that I really enjoy is uh, we have a cooler, which again uh, seems overkill. I, my mom in particular loves to mock uh, our cooler. We have a, a Pelican 70-liter uh, cooler, um, and it's sort of Pelican's answer to the, the super trendy uh, Yeti Tundras and other Yeti coolers. Um, and I was first introduced to, to Pelican stuff because they, they, I think they got into the market through making waterproof cases. Um, when my buddy Tim and I were uh, kayaking instructors on the river and back in the pre-everybody pre having a cell phone days, we used to carry a cell phone for the group or maybe it was a sat phone in 
a waterproof pelican case and uh, it's often what video boaters and others will will carry um, gear in that they need to stay really dry uh, even in a wet environment so I knew they knew how to make great gaskets and uh, sturdy cases and uh, on the outdoor gear lab ratings a couple years ago for coolers uh, this this particular cooler rated above uh, Yetis and uh, it was it was near the top of the pile so um, it weighs a ton it takes up a lot of space uh, at 70 liters of interior volume and then plus you know you've got thick walls and big handles um, but here's why here's why uh, I, we fly with this uh, by the way the stove fits inside the cooler uh, and that's great so when you fly that uh, fits under the weight limit and only counts as one piece of luggage but um, it's because it just it keeps stuff cold and uh, cold is important for food safety uh, for days and days and days and the last thing you want when you're in a remote setting um, even if you're road accessible is is to have to go into town uh, every day or every other day to get ice for your cooler and if you're doing that then you're probably also having to go in to get fresh food and vegetables and when you do that you know uh in these little towns often you're you're pretty limited in what uh, what is available uh, you, so you end up just eating kind of processed convenience store stuff as well as making uh multiple trips out for ice and that's just that's not the way you want to be spending uh your camping with kids vacation so um yeah it's a it's a definitely uh, an investment uh and they weigh a fair bit and take up a bit of space but they're uh, bear proof um, super durable and definitely uh, keep ice frozen for a long time so um, we've enjoyed that cooler so I think that's it on uh, the gear front tents uh, cooking system cooler um, and maybe in another podcast down the road we'll talk about backpacking with kids uh, this is specifically this one has been addressing more or less car camping with kids we have done some backpacking with kids um, although we haven't backpacked yet with all three of the little ones we've backpacked with uh, two of them and with one of them but uh, we'll, we'll leave that for another session all right What's been your favorite thing on our camping trip so far, Isla? Going to the beach five times. And what's your favorite thing to do in the tent? Play with Shine. Who's Shine? Shimmer. Who's Shimmer? My bear. What color is your bear? Purple and white and sparkly. Tell me about her. She has a bow, and she's white, and she's purple, and she's sparkly. When we first started this thing last week, Jill asked how long I was going to be doing this and what we should do for subsequent episodes. I told her that we would do this only as long as it was easy and didn't feel like work and we weren't needing to spend too much time on it. 
and I told her at the time I thought we would probably conclude it once the trip was over. We'd made it back to Portland Airport and had a chance to find out whether or not, in fact, Alaska Airlines would honor their word and reimburse us for the lost luggage uh, expenditure. And I need to give you that update now as uh, we close out this podcast. So I, I went up to the luggage desk and uh, met a woman named Nina there, and uh, things did not go well initially. She uh, told me right off the bat that the reimbursement rate was fixed for that location uh, at a lower level than uh, I had been authorized uh, verbally to spend. And part of the whole problem uh, in this scenario is that uh, Alaska Air makes notes on each conversation with a passenger as well they should and they log that in that in their system but their system is uh is sort of one system blind and one one side blind uh they don't share that with you they don't uh email it to you and so there's no way for you to verify corroborate edit or otherwise challenge their record of events other than just posting your word against theirs. And so that was the scenario that I'd feared would arise, um, though I'd spoken uh, with another associate uh, named Denise earlier in the week to, to uh, verify that we would be okay to get reimbursement in person uh, when we arrived. And uh, it looked like all was going as I'd feared. Uh, Nina told me that uh, that was more than they were authorized at that location to reimburse. And uh, she said, my best option was to bring it up with the central luggage um, to write them a letter or something. And it all sounded like a convenient way of brushing me off and sending me into the interminable wilderness of uh, bureaucracy and uh, snail mail back and forth and receipts getting lost and that sort of thing. However, I'm glad to tell you that uh, Nina stuck with me and I uh, I told her my whole story and I gave her the names and uh, more or less verbatim uh, conversations with her colleagues and uh, I told her that I'd like to chat with the supervisor on duty and she uh, kindly took my request back to the soup as uh, as she called her and uh, a few moments later emerged with uh, a checkbook uh, 1980s vintage carbon copy Alaska Airlines checkbook or at least that's what it looked like and uh, and uh, the two of them signed off on a check for the full amount of uh, our expenditure at REI to cover uh, for the, the lost luggage that first day uh, as Jill was quick to point out um, we're still you know out the expense of flying the gear that we didn't end up using uh, both out and back, uh, and now out the expense of flying back the additional gear. But uh, in the end, um, you know, it, it's not about getting every penny back. It's uh, it's about a vacation, and um, and I'm just really grateful that they kept the word and they followed through. And I'm grateful to Nina uh, and to Brem and to Denise and all the other uh, people who work in that office, and that uh, that this has resolved. Uh, amicably and favorably and uh, we have our luggage and we have the replacement stuff and we're grateful so that is uh the way that story ends and that's also where we're going to end this podcast or at least this uh first trip of camping with kids 
uh, as I hinted earlier, uh, sometime in August, we'll be camping with uh, some of my siblings and their kids uh, and parent my parents. Uh, so that could be camping not with three kids, but with 10 little McFadden cousins. So uh, stay tuned. We might well do a little podcasting then. Thanks so much for following along the adventure. We appreciate it.